to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. And our special guest today is Alan Karpik here on episode 47 of the Boilerball Podcast. Alan, thanks uh, so much for taking some time to join the Cliz and I. It is a privilege, as I say, to be with you guys, but uh, thanks for having me on. Enjoy your show, and uh, I'm an often li- often time listener, so glad to be on. Well, you've been a guy that we've wanted to have on here for a while. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, Larry and I both um, have been friends with you for a long time. You and Cliz go back um, quite a ways. Quite a ways. Long time, yeah. We go back 40 years. We go back to the, 1977, to my right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. And Alan's got a rich uh, history with Purdue basketball. Um, and most people, I think, Alan, it's fair to say, know you um, You know, as president of Golden Black, uh, Boilers, Inc., and um, and all your work with Golden Black Illustrated, goldenblack.com. Um, you're a, a pretty prominent uh voice uh, on Purdue Athletics um, in media and, and especially locally here, TV, radio, print, you name it. You got your hands in a little bit of everything. Um, but I wanted to start this podcast by kind of going into your roots with um, Purdue here in town and, and then uh, just kind of explain kind of your um, your love for uh, Purdue basketball and kind of where it started because I've heard you tell a bunch of great stories from your childhood days and some of your memories and stuff and I think I think uh, our, our listeners would enjoy hearing some of those early recollections. Well, you know, the thing that's great about Purdue basketball for me, it's, a, it's so personal because it goes back to my dad and praying to be able to get basketball tickets and be able to go. I went my first year was going to games was in Lambert Fieldhouse and and I was in the first grade and uh, and hoping to stay up late at night to watch games and those kind of things. And my first game, which is not, I don't know if it's really actually true, but I always tell people, is the first game was Purdue versus Army. And, and you know, I'm in first grade and I should have known better, but, you know, I, I, somebody had these cool black and gold uniforms out there, happened to be Army. And uh, the head coach was a guy named Bob Knight, and the point guard was a guy named Mike Shusevsky. And uh, and uh, I thought there's no, no way that Army was going to, Push Purdue, and that game went to overtime. Purdue wins in overtime, and and uh, those some started that vi- those vivid memories for me. And like I tell my wife, reminds me that I can remember May thirtieth, nineteen eighty six, as my wedding anniversary. But I can tell you exact dates from games. Uh, you know, he Purdue football, Purdue basketball, but Purdue basketball has just been so so much of my growing up. You know, having the opportunity to go to the first game in Mackey Arena. But then, then really my experience. Just as a fan and as a kid growing up, with good friends with, uh, played high school basketball with Jim Schaus, who Fred Schaus was the coach here. So I was pretty close to the program there, and then and then uh, had a chance to be a basketball manager. And as you know, Elliot, that's a great experience in its own right, and and uh, around some really great people. Two years with Lee Rose, and two years with Coach Gene Cady, and that uh, also uh, was a neat experience. We had an opportunity to go to a Final Four, and and um, some really interesting characters with that group, as you know. <laughs> but uh, from uh, Joe Barry Carroll, who's really one of the great people that you'd ever want to meet, but uh, uh, the Keith Edmondsons of the world and the Brian Walkers, all very tough-minded you could you know one of the things we talked about when that 1980 team came back this year or earlier this year is that was not a team that liked each other all that well they did get together very happily in their every union but that's what they were tough-minded people and that's what it takes and and uh, so it's been a great experience for me just uh, being a part of it and, and uh, I've always will have a special it's hard for me to be very impartial when it comes to Purdue basketball because uh, it, there's been so many great people that have been around it and uh, and it's been a very consistent, good story and fun to be around. Your recollections of uh, 
those games in Lambert. <laughs> I mean, to me, and I've I've studied it a little bit because as my days as SID, I spent way too many hours over in the archives. Oh, yeah. Um, which are in the basement of Lambert, right. or at least they were when I was SID. And you would go over, and every every year basically had its own folder that contained all the photos from that year and the media guide and uh, press releases at that time. Um, and I would find myself reading through these folder after folder trying to find you know different get to know different former players and things like that and try to unearth some different photos maybe for each year's media guide but when i would look back at some of the photos of the setup over in lambert it just seems it seems so cool and i try to explain now because really the only time our players our current basketball players are in lambert we go over there and condition in the fall so this time of year we're over there so just the other day we were over there the guys were running 200 yard sprints and we walked in. I said, "You know what? They used to play basketball in here." And some of the guys have had no idea. Oh yeah. And they look at you, you know, funny, and they say, "No, no way, you play." Yes, yeah. Well, I I wasn't around, but back in the day, they played here. And I try to explain the setup, and the court was on the west end. Is well, that right? It was on the it was on the west end, and it ran north and south. Now it ran east and west until the I believe until the till the infamous bleacher crash in 1947. And my my dad was editor of the Exponent, so I as a kid I never could understand. Going, I grew up in West Lafayette, so went to West Side football games, and he would freak out anytime I would go under the bleachers. Kids always played under the bleachers. Yeah, and uh, I finally on me a few years later that the why and and so that they changed the changed the way that the, the the configuration but it sat at about nine thousand people there was a dirt track i mean you'd have to take uh, take dust off the and larry can remember going to mcgall hall back in the early early 80s it was some of that same experience there even jenison Fieldhouse was really configured at michigan state fi- configured uh, the same as it was a carbon copy of of uh, lambert Fieldhouse. But it just was a it just was a good old uh, uh, place for basketball with the high high end bleachers went up one side of the court and you had it had nine about nine thousand seats. But what was interesting is that go, making that transition from the nine thousand plus and to Mackey Arena or to the Purdue Arena as it was called when it was first opened and, and that unbelievable difference in I and again I only went one year but how Mackey Arena developed into this. You know, place where it, it it was by the first game it ever was played was gonna it was gonna be loud. Yeah, it's been the tradition there uh, for, for you know for all these years for fifty plus years, and and I'm sure that Lambert Fieldhouse was as well. But somehow it 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 took that leap in that one year. Rick Mount had something to do with it. a guy named Herman Gilliam had a lot, and Billy Keller had a lot to do with that also. But it was a good venue to watch games, and you know, back in those days, you'd go at at, at uh, five thirty and watch the freshmen play, and and uh, you know, even when Rick Mount was there in that last year, unbelievable crowds for freshman basketball because Rick wasn't eligible, and uh, they'd get as many people for the freshman game as the varsity. But uh, this is a, it's part of the great tradition. It's Purdue Purdue basketball, but when you think about the people that have played there uh, from Terry Dissinger all the way back down in the late 30s when it opened, Jewel Young, um, those kind of guys, uh, you know, that's that's why this Purdue basketball has been on the map is a lot of the people that went through that facility and before. So then uh, talk about you grow up, you have this passion, and then was there any ever, was there ever any doubt that you were going to not go to Purdue? 
Um, you know, in our family, is interesting. I have four siblings, and uh, my parents are, you know, my dad, and both my parents are Purdue graduates. And, no, I, it's funny. I never really thought about going any other place, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But <laughs> right, I, but right, I, but right. I really, um, uh, Purdue was a good fit. I always wanted to, I knew probably at some point in time I wasn't going to play in the NBA. I don't know when that was, maybe maybe in sixth grade. But uh, I knew I wanted to study sports uh, somehow, and uh, couldn't really do that in college. You kind of could do that uh, through uh, through the Cranert School and, and some of the other things I took. But but you know it it just was kind of the way it was. I think kids back in those days you didn't have as many. You didn't think about it maybe as much. You didn't. You know, you, you took the SAT once. Right. Um, I mean, I aced it, but uh, yeah. uh, but it was it was that wow, type two of, guys on this podcast. Aced yeah, it. Larry, Larry and Alan. I aced know. Hard. Uh, yeah. Right. Hard yeah. to imagine. But so. Yeah, it's pretty much that, something that, that caused my entire that caused my entire downfall. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, those high expectations, but no, I I think that that's a that's been a big part of my life. I've been lucky to live in this this town and close to this university, and that's been a been a fun thing for me. Is that that uh, yeah, I, I kind of was expected to go there, but no, that was never really it was just, it was implied, I guess, uh, from that standpoint. And maybe things were a little bit different all those years ago. You well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it did to me. I went from William and Mary to Youngstown University. Yeah, and that's the same Youngstown University that lost to Butler Saturday. I know one of oh, the great upsets place. in college football, right? Yeah, one. I mean, uh, analytically and statistically, might have been the might have been the biggest upset in college football in a century. Yeah, they were talking about when you look at all, when you looked at the numbers. Bigger than App State or beating Michigan, they were saying. Uh, oh, absolutely, I'm because uh, because Butler had uh, sixty three players with those scholarships, yeah, none, zero. Yeah, that's... and uh, Youngstown State two years ago was uh, Division two national champion. So, I mean, think about that. I mean, that, that's just. I mean, that's mind blowing. Yeah. I didn't even think about it. I saw it. Uh, I saw the story in Sports Illustrated, yeah. but. Yeah, I was, was gonna, quite a I was gonna ask you how you saw that story because I saw it today on Twitter and I had no idea. I and, and I idea. and you know, and obviously Butler's right down the road. Um, you know, Larry, you're down in Florida, so you know, I might I could see where that might not pick up down there, but yeah, you're talking about the one perhaps the greatest football upset in history and, and uh probably less than ten percent of the population's heard about it. Yeah, and you got yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got to figure out. You got to know the difference between not non scholarship and and all that. But it's funny because uh, a nursing friend of my wife's and a good friend of mine that her son that was from West Lafayette quarterback that played at Butler. She's the one that sent it to me because her her son being Matt Lancaster and uh, and yeah, I had no yeah. no idea. Uh, but that's the beauty of sports, and I think that's kind of what you, you get ingratiated into that at an early age. And you're t- and you're pretty much hooked, and it's hard to change. That's why that's why I think we've t- Elliot and I have had a lot, and Larry have had a lot of conversations about marketing and marketing of sports, and how important it is to get kids dyed in the wool, yeah, and make this part Purdue or whatever team you're rooting for, make this something that you can't kind of can't do without. And and I think that that's uh, that's certainly happened to me. But I had I had magical moments of uh, growing up and. In the first two years in Mackey Arena, or first three years, I was watching Rick Mount play. But uh, there were other guys, Herman Gilliam and Billy Keller, that were a lot of fun to watch too. But this is a—it just didn't, you know. You're set for life, sort of, so to speak, from that standpoint. Let me ask you this question because you—you you grow up, and I remember those days as a as a child going to games, and you see you, you see what you see on the field, and then 
my childhood, I got, you know, there wasn't the, there wasn't ESPNs and all that stuff. Right. Um, so, you know, you saw live games and you saw a handful of games on TV. Um, but then when you get to campus and now you're a manager and now you kind of see behind the curtain and you get to see some things that, do you remember kind of being, were your eyes open wide at that point? Do you remember seeing some things you thought, man, I never knew any of this went on in terms of all the other stuff that goes on behind us, behind the scenes besides the game? You know, it's, to some extent, I was a little lucky and, and different in some ways because I had, you know, again, Jim Schaus was a friend of mine. So I was around those, you know, around in a different role, but uh, uh, around that program a lot. And, and, and I was lucky because my dad was a little nosy and, and good friends with Bob King that we, you know, we got around. You know, I, this is back when it was legal, but we would have basketball players to our house. And, to, you know, I had Dave Shellhouse at our house, so we had football players. Leroy Keyes came to our house, Clanton King, um, Frank Kendrick, on down the line, Eugene Parker. Uh, these They became friends of our family. So some of that is true that you, that you, that you when you get there and see how, you know, you get in that locker room, it's a different feeling. But I had some of that experience, kind of worked my way into it, and, I, and that probably was pretty unique for most kids, uh, you know, is that uh, I had that. And, and I wasn't a very good fan sometimes. I mean, I, I, you know, I got sent to my room. I can remember games <laughs> in, in 1968. And one of those rare television games in football, you know, they had one TV game a year. And, you know, Leroy Keyes, if you think about how great Leroy Keyes was in football, and he played on national television, I believe it would have been four times in wow. three years, four or five times. And my point is, you know, Purdue's getting beat by Minnesota, and, and I'm I'm sure I was crying, and I don't think I was swearing, but I was in second grade. Get, get, you know, I was not a good fan. I got sent to my room, and my dad, you know, I didn't come down. They lost the game. And uh, so... You know, I learned to mature some, and uh, I still take it seriously, but uh, I, I don't have to throw temper tantrums anymore. But that I think that's part of being the fun of all this is that is that when you get this at an early age, it's hard to wash it out completely. I couldn't agree more. It's uh, it's something that uh, that gets in you, and uh, well, I mean, we we talk on here all the time about you know Larry to this day reads the Cleveland Plain Dealer yeah. to get his Cleveland fix. Uh, so there's something about the team you grow up with, and and I agree that I think um, a big part of the marketing thing you can't you can't get a, get to a kid early enough. And uh, anytime we sit around the table here and talk about marketing ideas or things for the upcoming year, anytime we can involve kids and family packs and things like that, we try to do as much of that as possible because it's vital to grow to continue to grow the fan base. Um, that's a, that is something that is just as important as everything else um, is that makes a difference in everything it makes a difference in ultimately revenue for the department uh, but it makes a difference in recruiting it makes a difference in uh, it, it translates not directly but an indirect way to everything that we do here in the athletic department and I know you talked about going and getting sent to your room you preside over a I don't know if presides the right word but you're uh, goldenblack.com and you've got a, a group on there that um they should be sent to the room they, <laughs> almost, most, in fact today would be one day that they should be but no go ahead i'm sorry didn't mean but to but that's a that's you, you have to live in that world um you know i get to zone out and not you know larry gets to zone out although although larry larry does uh, brief me from time to time mm-hmm. on the goings on but uh, do you ever find yourself 
just getting gray hair. Well, I'm addicted. I'm addicted. I'm addicted to it. But I think, Larry, I think you have a healthy attitude toward it is you have to you take it with a grain of salt. You know, it's funny. I, I think maybe because I had some of that experience growing up, I kind of really, you know, we, we were talking about Knucklehead Central and sometimes our fans that lose their minds over things that just don't matter or think the world's going to end or think certain coaches can't do certain things at certain times. Uh, uh, which is always amazing to me, but but uh, it's a lovely community, Elliot. That's what it's all about, and that's what that's how it keeps us in business. But no, I, we do like the. I don't take that stuff very seriously. Uh, I find myself, you know, it's funny. I, I, my litmus test for going to games now is having a little bit of anxiety. If when you like when I watch television, watch you guys watch the Purdue on the road for basketball, you know, I'm I now sit in my kitchen or staying in my kitchen, I don't sit down. And it's not because I'm yelling at the TV or I try not to, but it's just there's something about it. But that's some of the beauty of it, if you still can have have that desire. But I, but, but I also, you know, football has gotten to be the way it was for a long period of time that I lost a little bit of that. So uh, that's probably a good thing. But I've, I've learned to think that it's not as serious as it, as it needs to be. I know it's your guys' livelihood, and, and we do take it all seriously. But I also enjoy more than anything, as people like yourself and Larry, some of our best conversations are being, we always say it's not all that damn important. And it, it, it isn't in the grand scheme. But what is important about it is I can go back to my first autograph, Roger Blaylock, 1966. First person that wow. was willing to, to, to do that. That was important, not because of basketball, but because my dad said, you need to go up and get his autograph, son. So I had to walk up to a, a six foot six guy and say and ask for his autograph, and that changed the way I am. I mean, it, because it, it allowed me to you gotta go up and talk to people. you got to right. talk to people you don't know. You you, it is okay to to be have some be starstruck by somebody, but you find out he's just a person, and so that 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 part of the old experience, and that's why I think you know you guys have done a great job of making your your kids, your student athletes. You know, we think we know Carson Edwards. Now we don't know Carson Edwards completely, but you build personality right. around these guys, and they make them real. But you make them real to kids. You make them good role models. They're not all perfect people. I get that, but that's what it's supposed to be about, and that's why that's what makes you a lifelong fan. Because at the end, Purdue over the years for me been a pretty good place. It's been a place that's been run honestly, uh, relatively free of scandal. And I enjoy being around the people. And so I've been very, very fortunate professionally to be able to do this for all these years. Larry, do you remember your first autograph? Yeah, Jerry Lucas. Oh, that's, that's not bad. That's pretty good. Roger <laughs> Blaylock's good, but Jerry Lucas, that's unreal. Uh, Jerry, Lu- Jerry Lucas is my first one. And another one that I got very early was Paul Warfield. Yeah. Another good one. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's just funny because I'm not a big collector, but I, I can still put myself in that place of what it felt like to, to go up to Roger. And, uh, and and again, I can tell you his jersey number and, and where he went to high school and what what junior college he went to. But uh, I can't tell you exactly what how much money I have in my bank account. So there, there it is. Maybe it's because I have so much. That's, that's yeah, I always remember, always remember the story in uh, – I grew up in Warren, Ohio, and uh, our high school, Warren Harding, uh, was a was a state power, one of the top six, seven, eight schools in, in the state of Ohio back in their heyday when it was Maslin, Canton, Kinley, uh, Steubenville, people like that. And I can remember uh, Paul Warfield was so good. I mean, oh. and I, I mean, he was so good in high school, guys. I mean, he was 
He's like Randell Moore. Yeah. I mean, he, he showed up, and, and, and Paul Warfield was the guy. Mm-hmm. And and when they and when these teams, when these powerful teams would come and play them, or we'd have to go on the road and play them, uh, they'd do anything uh, to try to, to figure a way to, to hide them. And it got to the point sometimes where they would just give them a new number. You go to, <laughs> I can remember, I can remember one time I went to Sharon, Pennsylvania, and I listened to the game on the radio. I was still in, uh, you know, he was he is two or three years older than I was, and and I didn't go to Sharon to see the game, and it was only fifteen miles away. But uh, Tigers were pretty good, and and uh, they they made such a big deal about that. that. Isn't Paul's number? Paul's number was forty two. He's wearing like thirty three <laughs> or something, and everybody you know on the radio was like, "That isn't Paul Warfield. What's he got the number on?" And then he'd go off on like a 35, 40 yard run. And, uh, yeah. there was a lot, there was a lot of showmanship in those days. And, and the difference between now and then was of course the coverage. And the, and the biggest difference as we all know is population. We didn't have, we didn't have the same num- amount of people that we have in the country today. We had, uh, what half as many, if, if that, if that. and it, and it was a lot, it, it just was so different. And the only way you could really, really cover or really follow a game, it wasn't through television. It was through radio and newspaper. And, and man, I can remember on Friday, like today, like Friday today, let's say, Harding would play uh, Ken McKinley, the second game of the year. And you'd have Ken McKinley against Warren Harding, and both would be 1-0. and <laughs> Look in the paper, man, and like two hours before the game, you couldn't wait to get down to the oh, stadium yeah. and, I'd, I'd sneak in through the back way sometimes. And, uh, when I was, you know, closer to high school, I could sneak into the games, but, um, it, it was really, it was really something. And, and you get, and I've always said this ever since, because over time I've said to myself, when I go to game, I always, I think I told Elliot this just a couple of years ago. I, I went to an Iowa game, a Purdue, Iowa game. And I went, to the game with the team, uh, like we always do, and I went out to the, to the, uh, you know, to the floor, and I just sat in my broadcast location, and I just sat there and looked at all the people who are working the game. Oh yeah, and it would be it'd be uh, college kids, uh, you know, doing stats. It would be people taking uh, programs to different people. It would be ball boys, uh, and it'd be uh, little kids. And all this stuff, and I would just look, I just kept looking and trying to think to myself, is it the same way it used to be? You look and see the excitement in a kid's eyes. You see that same, and you can smell the, you can smell the arena and stuff like that. And I was convinced, I spent about half an hour doing it, and I was convinced, yeah, it hasn't changed. It really hadn't changed because those young people are so influenced by it. No, I would agree with that, and I, <clears throat> my recollections were we were diehard Colts family growing up, and the Colts had moved to Indianapolis in 84, and I was seven years old, and my dad um, stressed to us the importance of this and the fact that this was a really, really big deal. Oh, yeah. And I was a Bears fan before that and uh, knew all those teams, and then when the Colts moved there, I knew all – I mean, I know to this day I know every player that was on those 
uh, you know, mid-80s Colts teams, and then there were some bad teams, real <laughs> bad teams. And I, but, but to go back to what you said, Larry, I remember going in to at the time was the Hoosier Dome, and I remember, I mean, I remember our routine. We would walk, we'd park downtown on the street somewhere because my dad was too cheap to pay for it. Yeah. We'd walk through the Hyatt. We'd grab some fries from McDonald's in the Hyatt. We'd walk in, find our seat. I mean, it was the same routine every Sunday that we went, and I couldn't wait to go to those games. And I can yeah. still, I could still trace my steps and tell you exactly what we did. And we sat through, we sat through a one and fifteen, three and thirteen, and one and fifteen seasons in three consecutive years. I mean, it was bad, oh, yeah. and we weren't leaving. Well, think about half. it now. Yeah, well, think about it now. Think about your your dad, Rick, and your mom, Jill, and how how they now stop and go to Harry and Izzy's, or they go to. Uh, yeah, they go downtown have a big have a big old uh, shrimp yeah. cocktail. Now, since they've been rich, they do it a whole different way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Money they're, changes everything. Yeah, they're they're rolling in it. No, it's called getting kids out of the house. Yeah, is what that's that is. Exactly that as well. But they, yeah, but but it was and that as a kid though that was stressed upon us. Like this is what you do. You go to the games and this is how you do it. This is how you're a fan. And the phone would ring when on a Colts away game and and the the whole house would stop. And we'd all look at my dad, and he would exclaim, "Who the hell's calling the house? They know the Colts are playing. What are they doing?" And he'd get mad. And then that's, but to me, that's so. One of the arguments I've had with people then is when we're talking about our Purdue fan base, we have an extremely loyal oh, fan no base, doubt. no doubt. And there is, you and, I, and tell I, me. yeah, and I've said this, and I, and we've talked about it in the last couple podcasts when, with Larry's situation and just how how they. So many of them stepped up. When you look, though, and I, I mentioned this in the Daniel O'Neill article, Larry, that she did on you, that in, we, we live in a state where you have a lot of people who blow with the wind. When Indiana basketball's rolling, they're right on that bandwagon. Yeah. But they don't, they don't have a tight Indiana, but they live in the same state, and the same way with Notre Dame football. Um, you know, you got a lot of Notre Dame football fans right now. They're in the top 10, and everything's good. But on the thin years, when they're you know not in the top 25, and, and they're winning uh, five, six games a year, uh, that bandwagon shrinks considerably. Um, the argument, I think, is the Purdue bandwagon. The size is pretty consistent. Yeah. Um, we need to find a way to grow the to grow the wagon, and that's I think that's that's our goal. But but you don't find too many people that just happen to randomly pick Purdue. Yeah. Well, we used to always say that in the state of Indiana, right? There aren't many fans that are that are not. If they're a Purdue fan, they have to have some level of affiliation. There are a lot of a lot of people that never have set foot in Bloomington or in in South Bend that are Indiana. I always love the ones that are Indiana basketball fans and Notre Dame football fans. That's a that's a nice thing to be, at least back in the day. But you know, I, I look even at our business, Elliot, at, at Golden Black. You know, through eleven or twelve years of scorched earth and football, uh, and yes, your program and men's basketball has kept a lot of interest. But uh, we've been able to keep a very consistent group of subscribers over the years, and 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 I think that's it. You know, and I think that there are a lot of people that were raised like I was and like you were. In our family, we did not leave games early ever, ever. And uh, I can't say that I've always uh, have, I've carried that on with my kids, but I'm pretty close. But my point is, is that uh, there was a certain loyalty, and and we also were had expectations of how we were to behave. Un- unlike when I was in my home, I could get sent to my room, but my dad wouldn't put up with that stuff. You know, I mean, you were going to be a decent fan, and you could get upset with what was going on in the field, but uh, you were going to be respectful. And I think that that's 
that is a lot of Purdue's fan base in a lot of ways, and and uh, it's it, it there is a certain fabric there that that certain base or instinct that uh, that Purdue fans have. But I agree, the challenge is now, you know, how do you take it to the next level, or how do you continue to to make it grow in a in a world that uh, doesn't have a lot of things that can always depend on all the way and that's why i think purdue has some great opportunities purdue's a great not only a, is a great school but it's it's a consistent it's a good place right message fun uh all those kind of things that's why i think maybe some of the best years may be ahead for it just because of where it sits in the marketplace and who it really is well you you just touched on something i wanted to ask you about the foot when the football program gets going and and certainly last year um awoke everybody yeah, no doubt. Uh, i think low expectations or at least some hesitancy going into it and then obviously getting to a bowl game and winning a bowl game um i can't recall a season that's had as high expectations as this season um for well over a decade true and how does so how does that affect because you it we i know how it affects our department and it certainly helps and i know the energy and the vibe it has but you have a business that's pretty reliant on Good feeling on on yeah on people feeling good about the yeah, product. Absolutely. So how how does you know, how do you see that translate? You know, it's really interesting, and this is not. Uh, I think that uh, your program in men's basketball has been the stable part and has kept kept been the glue. Even if you go back in the '80s when Purdue football really struggled, and Larry Larry had to deal with that from a play by play perspective and, and getting through some of those years. You know, if you look at from 1981 to 1996, one bowl game, uh, the men's basketball and Gene Cady's group uh, you guys did a, you know we did a great job of, of, of keeping that interest but growth is football and I don't think you can you can't it's really hard to argue that and even in our little our little world we've seen our two biggest jumps in my 22 years 23 years in golden black 1997 2017 to 18 and uh, we're doing it in different platforms uh, certainly but that that is where you know people do jump on and and become become that desire to get back to campus you know it's a little tougher in basketball it's a little bit smaller it's a different time of year but you want people coming back and touching the university and being here and i think that hard to deny but football does that and jeff brahm and company have done a a good job of uh of uh, obviously increasing expectations there but also i will think this is another thing that's important is that Jeff Brown and Matt Painter have a lot of a lot of similarities in terms of how they approach their passion for the game. They're kind of all shucks. We're going to just we're not going to talk about ourselves. We're going to go out and try to try to put the best product on the field or on the court. And I and I think that that's a neat correlation. But uh, there's no doubt that when football is going good, it's good for business. It's good for everybody. You you talked about the getting people back to campus, and I've said this for the longest time, and I've brought this up to several people as. Lafayette, West Lafayette in particular, um, if, you, if you rewind over the last 20 years, I can't think of a play, a college that has changed more. And we're on campuses, I mean, I'm not on a ton of campuses, but every year when we travel to whether it be Michigan State or Minnesota or uh, down to Bloomington or, or, or Penn State, we see a lot of schools and I, I will go back to schools that maybe I traveled to when I was in a different, when I was at Duke or Kansas or somewhere like that. And for the most part, you see a lot of year to year by year, it stays pretty consistent. I've had more people talk about the changes going on around Purdue and West Lafayette and the town itself. Right. And just in awe of what goes on. I mean, if you if you drive by Chauncey Hill and come back six months later, you, you'll you'll be in amazement. 
And that is, I can't stress enough how big that is for our program, and I'm speaking for Ben's basketball, but for the athletic department uh, as a whole. And sometimes people, I think, don't instinctively know the correlation there. But the correlation is young kids especially want to be at a place where something's happening, where something's going on. And right now, and you alluded to it, that that maybe our best years are ahead of us, I I would second that. And I would say a big part of it is just the momentum that the university has as a whole is helping that as well. Yeah, I think you have to, you can't dismiss, was it the Wall Street Journal poll yesterday that picked Purdue as the third or fourth in the country in terms of value? Um, and uh, having two children, or well, one that's not quite finished yet, but she has a couple of years left. It is a good value. It is a good place uh, to go to school. But you know, we've talked for years, Elliot, about the, the the necessity to have to be you know to be hip. And Purdue, it's hard for Purdue to do that. Has been over the years. Uh, it's hip in its own, becoming in its own way. But the State Street Project. Uh, having a 13-story to 9-story uh, 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 place for kids to live now changes the way that this place looks. Absolutely. And I just think that is that is a good thing on, on a number of fronts. I mean, as a somebody that has lived here the majority of my life, uh, I'm eager to see just from a, you know, the, the, the way that the, the city is, is changing and downtown Lafayette and all those things, all of a sudden it's a fun place to be. Uh, it's always been a good place, but there's always, it's just that taking that next step. And I, I think you're right. I don't think there are many schools. Now you might argue that some of those schools went for those changes a few years ago and Purdue has been a little bit late to the table. But I would argue the other way, technology and the way things are now, it's changed so much that what you built in 2007, I'm glad you're building it in 2018 to 2020 because uh, it's the right time for this stuff. And, and, and I do, it, it has to help you guys in terms of not only building atmosphere, but building and recruiting and creating, a, making this the hub. And then you throw in things like STEM education at the right time. Uh, uh, you know, you, you, you have a chance to, to really uh, dominate in a lot of different ways, ways. And I think Purdue's trying to take advantage of that. Well, one thing that I think uh, in terms of recruiting, um, I think that sometimes it's hard for it's hard for any fan of a college to understand that everybody looks through it with their own colored glasses, right. you know. So if Ohio, if somebody if some kid grows up in Ohio and he spurns the Buckeyes to go play somewhere else, it's inconceivable to someone who lives in that community why someone didn't decide to go play college there. And one of the things that we have to try to do as we try to get, you know, future Boilermakers is figure out, you know, what is pushing the buttons with the with these young people and what's, you know, getting them to sign on the dotted line. And the answer is it's completely different for everybody. For everybody. And some what works for some kids doesn't work for the for other kids. But I do know that we're closing the gap in a lot of areas. And and one is if you're going to spend four years of your life here in a community um, that enters their mind maybe more than the actual competition does and sometimes people have a hard time I think grasping that that uh, there's a lot of different ways that that uh, especially young kids look at things but you talked about being Purdue being hip that's always been a battle we fought and I think we are closing the gap mm-hmm. in a lot of ways um, but that is a big that's been a big hurdle was it like that but when you started being around Purdue and when you went to school here, 
was that always has that always been the case or is that something that's just kind of developed in the last 25 30 years well i think in recruiting it's been interesting because you know you look at the history and this is going deep i suppose but do you look at the history of when purdue was really good in football I mean, I'm talking relevant in the top 15 of the country, 1965 to 1969. You know, they were the Purdue was a, a top 15 team, I believe, every year. They're close to it. The Purdue benefited from one, you know, a, a racial issue and the fact that African American kids weren't going to the SEC, weren't going to the ACC, were coming to Purdue. Leroy Keys. Probably growing up in Newport News, Virginia, might never have come to Purdue in today's world. It would have been harder. So Purdue did benefit from that. Uh, they had the right people. They had the right people at the right time in, in, in that to be able to get a Herman Gilliam who would have gone to North Carolina in right. all likelihood back in the day. And so that was a, that was a hurdle that, that I think that this, this city's always been able to – has worked its way – to being a, a place where where everyone is welcome and and uh, that is an important thing here that that I think you've, that, that that the university has taken taken large steps to be able to make that uh, make that clear. But I also think that you look at it has been a battle for Purdue. To, there's always been, it, I think it is a common bond, but it isn't. It is not a a negative when you say you're not selling yourself short by saying it takes a right fit. To have success at Purdue, and that's not a criticism of the university. That should be how Matt Painter, Jeff Brom, Sharon Verse, up on down the line recruit. I think you guys have found that out with the kind of kids that you've guys recruited over the years, and uh, that's not that's a good thing, I think, actually. But you still want to open yourself up to as many people, and you want to attract them. and And uh, I think that some of the things that are going on in Mackey Arena. Let's let's be honest. You know, I I didn't think the experience at Mackey Arena could get better. Uh, and I went to some great games in the 70s and, and 80s and 90s and on down, the, uh, down the, the road, but it's morphed into something else and where you don't want to, you want to be in that facility as often as you can. And, you know, you think about this year when you have Indiana and Michigan State coming here, those are going to be just absolutely epic events. And that is taking it to another level. And, and I think that all ties into that. It's been a challenge for Purdue, and uh, there have been reasons for it. But I do think that uh, some of that's being broken down and uh, broken away from, and I think that's all to the good. But I will say the common denominator of all this is the the ability to have the right fit, the right kind of kid, because I do think Purdue people as a whole want it done the right way, want it done above board. They want to win, but they want it they want it done the right way. And I think there's still people in this community and this university would they're not going to sell their soul for a national championship. And I, I think that's a good thing still. Right. They still do. Well right. yeah, but the one of the things too is and I used to hear this a lot of times back in the seventies. Uh, I used to hear uh, they talk about Duffy Doherty and, yeah. and 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 they talk about recruiting and so forth. And Duffy used to say <laughs> they don't recruit today the way uh, you, you recruit differently today than you used to, and you and and that went on for years in advance. Well, well, you know, everybody recruited differently in those days and had the object to get certain players. And what we don't understand, and what we what is clearly the case today, is that in those days, in the seventies, even the eighties, uh, recruiting was regional. It wasn't national, right? And the ones and the ones that were national were maybe three programs: Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame. You know, and everybody else. Hey, if if I grew up in 
in, uh, let's say you grew up in northwestern Ohio. Well, it was either going to be Michigan or Ohio State. Mm. And so certain certain players would play high school football, and they'd be wearing the they'd be wearing the uh, the Michigan helmet, and then or somebody be wearing Ohio State helmet, and that's how that rivalry got so so intense. But it, it was so regional, and, and and the rules were different. I I think really the the, the clearest thing that changed football, in my opinion, in today's age was was the scandal. It's at SMU, I think I think that whole thing really set set some things differently. One, it's it proved to me that hey, why don't we take advantage of let's just destroy a program that no one cares about, and then anybody else that might be involved in something like this and it happens again, whatever you do, let's not let's not shut them down, and and that's that's what has happened and, and 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 honestly you look at the top 20 football teams and the top 20 basketball teams they're pretty much the same every year uh the color of the uniforms are the same mm-hmm. yeah coaches are pretty much the same and they're pretty much in the same thing and 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 we just saw this and i, I i'm not i'm totally uh opposed to it but what happened at uh at Ohio State, uh, three game suspension for Urban. He sits out one game. His team scores seventy seven points, and and nothing changes. Nothing changes, and 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 that's what and that's the kind of thing that we have to fight against over and over and over and over again. But it's the same teams. Alabama. Someone said the other day, "How, how does Alabama win five national championships?" Well, it starts so they get the best players. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you well, know, every I, time. I was thinking of this the other day when I was looking at I was thinking about the excitement we have for football around here. Yeah. And the fact that we've got a team that's that if you look at our schedule, there's going to be some challenges but some really good games. We have I mean, our non-conference schedules as good as anybody in the yeah, country. No, no doubt. And uh, and I thought to myself, I thought, you know, we have all this momentum and yet I've not seen one uh, publication expert or anything else say that we are a top 25 team right no votes no votes um nobody is i haven't seen a publication pick us in the top two in our side of the division no. um it's amazing it's amazing i guess when you look at purdue football and basketball and where they rank kind of in the hierarchy nationally and then the i guess the perception of them the perception of them so like for on the purdue basketball side Let's say we finish. Let's say the upcoming season we finish the season ranked 19th in the country, and I don't know what our postseason success would be, but the tr- everything's based on where you've been for the last, you know, 20 years or so. And so, football's on this climb, and and rightfully so, the enthusiasm where it should be and everything. But I'm thinking to myself, we still have so far to close the gap on the the programs that Larry just mentioned. Yeah, and I and I would argue, and this is not defeated, not a defeatist attitude. I'm talking football. It's tough. I mean, you, you it is really hard. I think there is a correlation between stadium size and the ability to uh, compete at that level. Um, there aren't many fifty thousand seat stadiums that teams that that are nationally relevant. There are some, um, but uh, my point is though that is it does matter that you can compete at that level and, and, and but it but also it matters to be competitive 
and to be to be relevant, to be interesting right. in this world. Right. And I think that that's part of it. I, I don't I don't think it's selling Purdue short to say Purdue's odds of winning a, a national championship football are are long. And I, but that doesn't mean that they you can't aspire to be, get there. And part and part of it is the journey of getting there and and having a guy like Jeff Brom who's willing to take on all 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 covers. Just like in in basketball, you know that's why it's part of the part of it. You better enjoy part of the regular season and figuring that out and figuring out how this how, you know you fall in love with these kids and and how well they progress over their time. And you live and die in March sometimes, but uh, you have to look at you have to look at the big picture, and that's a, that's a hard thing in today's world to do. But I think Purdue is uniquely positioned in some ways because in football, I use that as an example, it, it's really interesting. These guys are really interesting coach. They're going to do things differently, and it'll be interesting to see if they can get to be be a relevant program at a particular level. What that is, it's hard to say. And that ties into what well, I said. I've said this last year. I said. What's quit because we had people immediately in the middle of the winning streak. Well, we'll see about March. Enjoy the moment. Yeah. Enjoy the day. Like, let's not oh, worry. Incredible. Yeah, let's not worry about down the road. Let's enjoy. And I and I find myself sometimes looking ahead on the schedule of things. And I've I've gotten so much better at it to be able to sit back and say, "You idiot, just stop and enjoy each game, each quarter, each minute." Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that's what to tie this all back together that's what we talked about at the beginning of the show uh, the show is the experiences of watching each game and each moment here or there it's not necessarily well, an, an entirety of a season it's moments within a season right well like, but think about think about what happened last year in basketball when you run together a 19 game winning streak which was the school record 19 in a row and that came after a, uh, a very poor performance in uh, the Bahamas, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know, kind of shocked everybody. And then you were set up in a kind of a strange situation where Arizona was really the number one seed, or Villanova was, where Arizona was two, and then we were probably three. Here, here we are playing Arizona for last place in a yeah, uh, holiday you? tournament, and. And play an incredible one of the best first halves I've ever seen any Purdue play. Yeah, any Purdue team ever play against a quality team. It was incredible. And then all of a sudden, you're you know you're going back to your room thinking, "Good Lord, that was what was that?" And then yeah, if you would if you'd have given up on the season right before that game, you would have missed all that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I I I, but sorry. But the other thing was. Then when we went through that three game fall, and 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 when you when you analyze that, I mean, what an incredible, what an incredible three games that was. I mean, yeah, they were losses, and the whole world fell down on us momentarily. But the, the kind of losses they were were unbelievable. The the Ohio State loss that went to one second. And then all of a sudden, they're celebrating, and we're not. And we think we just won our 20th game. And all we have to do is grab a basketball, and it's over. And and, and then the next game, we've got to go to Michigan State, for goodness sakes. And uh, and they hit a three ball with uh, two seconds to go. And so in two games in a row, we just get just get our heart dug out. And then, and then we're thinking – and I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm sure Elliot does, Alan, I'm sure you're the same way. Well, Wisconsin will be that big problem. <laughs> right, right. 
and and then and then you show up and you don't show and people say well you know that should never happen that should never. It happens every day in sports every day in sports it happens where someone doesn't show or they there's a reason they don't show or something like that and so now we're set with that three game streak and we go from being the darlings in the united states to well let's uh, put an x through them they're done right so uh, and and we came so good. We beat Wisconsin for Big Ten champions again. That's how close it was. That's how tough it was. And every and all those kids that are still on the team lived through it. But what we have now, you know, we have them right now, and people keep saying these things about us. Well, we're, we we plod. We're too big. We we don't run. Uh, people don't look at things statistically, and they say, well, how come Purdue doesn't make that known to people? Well, they do. I mean, yeah. what do you think our guys sit around and say, well, we haven't led the league in scoring for a few years. Uh, uh, we just uh, go up and down the floor. and You know, it might take us a week to get a shot off. That, that just isn't true. It just isn't true. And now we have, a, we have a bona fide star in Carson Edwards that I think a lot of kids could really gravitate to. I think they will gravitate to him. And I think there's a few, I think there's a few people out there that are going to watch him that don't live in Indiana, that don't live, but maybe in California or might live in New Mexico or might live in Texas and say, oh, man, look at that dude. I want to be just like him. So that's what we've got to look forward to, and that's that's the way we have to do it. Well, be- because because the bigger schools, the Dukes, the Dukes, the North Carolinas, those type of people, they do that. And, and, and so if you're one of the top five, players in high school hey my chef's gonna show up at your house today um okay you know okay well, i'll think about and it, it proves you can do it here too and and the one thing i'll say before we get to the final four here is you just talked you just talked about scoring the ball coach we show a bunch of different graphics to recruits in a powerpoint that we present there's been one team in the history of the big 10 to average more than 77 points in back-to-back seasons and that was us the last two years in the history of the Big wow. Ten, and wow. and if you said that, you said what school in the Big Ten averaged more than seventy-seven points, and there's the only one to do so in the history of the league. Nobody would say Purdue. Just like very few people on a national scale say Purdue leads the conference in Big Ten championships. Right. We are we the one of the battles we face is constantly having to prove ourselves and and for lack of a better term, brag about our accomplishments. <laughs> we are humble by nature here. And one of the things we need to continue to do, and we're getting better at it, is to stick our chest out and yell out our accolades because we're not chump change. We have a lot of good things going for us. So Yeah, I, I, I was going to add one real quick thing. We had Mike Baminski on our, our live show here just before this. And, you know, that's one good thing among many that, the, that a guy like Mike brings because he's not used to, you know, Purdue's always been reserved about talking about itself from a university standpoint. And I still think there's some level of that still there, humility. You always want to have that, but you gotta you gotta push yourself out forward as much as possible. And and I think uh, the more you do that, uh, you know, you ask for the sale, you, you're going to get it. And uh, that's something that I think that, that is a good trend for Purdue because it is a good story to tell. And there are now different ways to tell that story. Social media changes all that because you can tell your own story too. Right, many more outlets to get that out yeah. there. So. All right, it's time for our final four here on the podcast. Uh, Alan Karpik's our guest. Alan, we ask everybody these questions. And uh, I've been looking forward to this with you because uh, you're a 
Very well cultured individual. Oh yeah, very. very so good. your what is first question here? The final four. What is your go to music of choice? Oh man, my kids would listen to this. They would say it's Steely Dan. Uh, be, probably as much as anything. But you know, uh, I've grown up to really Allison Chains in, in the '90s as has. Uh, resonates with me i'm not sure why i didn't discover that really much till about the last five years but i'll i'll stick with those two the steely dan if i really had to pick would be but i like a wide array of music i can i can listen to madonna i can listen to uh, a lot of different things and uh, and and i just love music and, and music to me is for the moment it's what you feel at that moment and you and now that you got itunes or whatever i can dial up anything i want at any time and it can change uh, it could change from Janet Jackson to Steely Dan for me. I mean, that's just that's a bizarre thing, but that's that's how I look at it. Uh, Mike DeCourcy, also a huge Steely Dan fan. Oh, yeah. Steely Dan's awesome. Yeah, yeah. He was a big fan. But I'm I old, but that's good. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I would never have guessed Alice in Chains. I, oh, I, I, you would see, see. But now I'm, even, I'm an even bigger fan of Alan Carter. Nutshell, just, if you listen to the lyrics of Nutshell, just go listen to the lyrics of Nutshell. It tells you everything you need to know about life. That is so cool. So cool. Okay. Uh, I'll never match Matt Painter though in hip hop stuff. No, <laughs> I can't do. I can't. I'm just not cultured enough to do. He that. got. He got. Somebody gave him a book on 80s rap. Yeah, 80s an encyclopedia rap, I mean, yeah. of 80s rap and hip hop. And when we were on our trip to Taipei, he had that thing, and I was one of his roommates. And <laughs> every day I got a little dose of. Did you know? Oh, yeah. And then followed by it was it was fascinating. Yeah, so, no yeah, doubt. But he's pretty impressive with that. Uh, question two here on the final four: What is your favorite book, or maybe a good book you've read recently? Um, you know that's a, that's a good one, I, I, and I haven't read as many as as I would like. I try to try to you know, but I think one of my favorite ones, Bruce Springsteen's uh, um, uh, autobiography. I was training for a, a bicycle ride up a mountain and listened to it on audiobook. And I'm and I'm not a I'm not a New Jersey Springsteen guy, but I appreciate who he is. The book is phenomenal and read by him. So I listened to the audio version of that. I love that. Uh, I love that book. Pat Conroy, uh, My Losing Season is probably my favorite, one of my favorite books. Uh, talked about his days at the Citadel yeah. and uh, about as a player. And you can relate. You would love that book uh, if you get the chance to read it. It was so well written. Uh, those are probably two of my two of my favorites off the top of my head. But I, I you know, people laugh at me because I, I have a hard time reading fiction. Uh, I don't know why, uh, but I just for some reason I do. But uh, I love stories, in depth stories about people and how people learn to deal with difficulty. That is that's the story with all of us because we all God love Larry. You know, Larry's got to deal with difficulty. So it's gonna be how you deal with it and. Uh, uh, Springsteen had to do it in his own way, privately, told the story. Uh, Pat Conroy did, and there are many others that uh, I've had the pleasure to read over the years, but those are two of my favorites. Bruce had depression issues, right? Oh, very much yeah, so. Yeah. And uh, the and and talked about mistakes he made and admitted to making mistakes, and uh, uh, and yet he's such a such a, a social leader that uh, I admire him for, for the way he has, has been able to get his message out through his music. Very cool. Okay, so question three on the final four. If you could wave your wand and do any profession tomorrow, what would it be? Oh, that's a good one. I, you know, I think um, 
I, I, I used to say I wanted to be a weather person because I love weather. I like uh, the, the ability to, I have my favorite uh, app is uh, Dark Sky because I can tell, you know, theoretically when it's going to rain. It's, it's not right all the time, but I, but I love weather. <laughs> but I, I did, but I, um, but but we had a funny experience last year because Dark Sky, Purdue, Minnesota last year in football, and I and, and if you guys remember that game, um, looking over my shoulder, it, it, the, the big storm was coming over the press box, so we couldn't see it. I'm sitting with Tim Newton. I said it is going to rain in one minute, and uh, Dark Sky is is and Purdue's got to line up to kick a field goal, and they did kick the field goal right before it started pouring. I don't know if Jeff Brom, we were trying to text him to tell him, but and it did rain in a minute. So I love weather. Um, you know, I would love to be a, uh, a somebody that could – I've enjoyed things like school, my school board work. I'd like to be somebody that could really give a great speech. I, there are times I, I think I can do that, but be able to, to – to, I don't think – to, to, to be able to make change. And be able to, to look at social things that uh, that aren't right with this world and, and have an impact on people. And that sounds like overly uh, convoluted, but as I get older, that's that's what I want to do. And I don't that doesn't have to be in the limelight. I, I need to find a way to do that wherever whatever that is. And it probably needs to be lower brow than high brow, but I, I think that's an important thing for me. And I've really enjoyed there are certain people I listen to uh, it's a beautiful world when you can go on YouTube and and, and John McCain's right. death last week. There were great speeches by both sides of the aisle uh, by leaders. I love leadership, and I like people that have actually have a soul that talk about uh, leadership. It was Barack Obama, but it was George, George W. Bush. Different speeches, very well done, and uh, I think that that's uh, I love that stuff, and I, I live for that stuff. Yeah, there was that was there were, that brought out a lot of good good things last yeah. week, and at a time when I think we needed a lot oh, of that no as question. well. No question. Okay, last question here on the final four with Alan Carpick. What is one thing that no one or not many people know about you? Uh boy, that's a good one. Um, what that that uh, boy? I don't know. That's a, there's. I'm sure there are a lot of things. Um, that I like to be by myself, and that I'm not really, I'm real happy to be, you know, be by myself. Um, I like that experience of, uh, um, you know, you could send me to a football game, by, I don't have to be with a lot of people. I like people a lot, but uh, I enjoy my, my time alone, and uh, I'm not a, as introspective as, I'd li- as I probably should be at times, but... Uh, uh, I'm happy in, in that as, as happy in that environment as I am in a crowd. So that may be one thing. I'm, that's, I, I'm scratching, but that's probably probably. My, my wife will appreciate when she hears that. Yeah. She's a, she enjoys her solitude. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm happy doing that sometimes. All right, Larry. Well, let, me, let me. Yeah, let me add. Let me add one thing. I um, when I first came to Lafayette, I met alan's dad and uh that's how i got to meet his family and uh, you know i didn't think much about i was 30 years old i didn't think much about you know managers being around teams and stuff like that so i didn't know alan as much i knew he was with the team and stuff like that but i wasn't i wasn't in tune to managers as much as i am today because i know how I, i i know how valuable they are but that's how i got to meet the carpet family including his mom and his sister and uh but I can tell you another uh, surprising thing about Al that you wouldn't know, and uh, I've been part of it. We, uh, Alan and I, over the years, 
uh, we'll meet occasionally. Certainly not enough. Yeah, that's uh, true. We'll meet occasionally. Uh, we'll meet occasionally, and sit down and talk a little bit about Purdue sports. Because when I was working journalist and all that, uh, there was no one better to talk to than Alan. But um, but we then over time got to the point where we don't want to talk too much about Purdue sports. We want to talk about life. And uh, I've had some wonderful, wonderful conversations with this guy. I love him. And yeah, we well, love you too, uh, Larry. And I think maybe I'll switch my answer there because that is truly it. I, I love Purdue sports, but I have now it's down to certain things I do watch. I don't watch. Maybe maybe the one other one B is that I don't watch a lot of other sports. Don't do it. I I would. There's so many other things I'd rather learn or do than, than than you know. I don't watch the NFL. I mean, I can now in today's world you can catch up with it, but uh, but uh, I don't need to know you know that stuff. So that that part's actually been a really good thing. I love you know. I'm going to spend my time watching Purdue football, Purdue basketball, but uh, outside of that, I we we all have a lot of interest. And in, and I would say that's the other thing that's great about this business that I've enjoyed is really finding out or trying to get to know people like Elliot, like Larry. That there's a whole other side of these people. They're, they live and die football. People think that's all they care about. No, there's other things. And if you don't have those other things, I I feel sorry for you. So there you go. I agree. Completely agree with that. And I uh, I turned my phone on the other day to check a score, to check a college football, the first week of college football. And the app I used to check scores, I had to reload the thing. It was the first time I'd had it on since March. There you go. And so I reminded myself, yeah, that time of year again when I'm back in the swing of paying more attention to sports. I'm, I, I enjoy baseball. I'm not. I don't have a team. I don't have a rooting interest. So I'm not uh, a diehard like some people. And uh, I'll catch scores on TV or things like that. But I don't, you know, check the scores daily but, like I do during football and basketball season. So I completely way, uh, relate. By the way, um, a friend of yours, Tom Hamilton, the Cleveland mm-hmm. play voice of the Cleveland Indians, has invited me over to uh, Tampa um, oh, great. Ne- next Monday, and I'm going to go go to a game Tuesday night. He got me tickets, and um, Tom's been a friend of our program for a long time, and oh, yeah. I know uh, I know Payne loves him. Payne had a chance to, to sit down and t- have a long talk with. Uh, with Tito, Tito Francona, their manager, uh, a couple of years ago. And so I'm going to have that opportunity. Michelle and I are going over there next week. And uh, we're spending a couple of days there, actually. So it's going to be really cool. And uh, I had a chance to visit with Tom uh, for the first time in a long time just last week. And uh, he's doing great. And he loves you guys. So I know that. And, uh, and he loves our program. So. I'm looking forward to going up there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, that's awesome. I, one of the most excited moments I ever saw Larry was in, uh, we went to Phoenix uh, in the Sweet 16, and Larry was invited out to spring training and yeah. walked in the clubhouse with Tom Hamilton and said he turned the corner, and there was Bob Feller. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. You, Unbelievable. You were a little 15-year-old kid that day when you were telling me that story, buddy. And I, was say, I sure like, was, and I – I got to talk to him. I got to talk to him about certain things and talking about the 48 World Series. And oh, yeah. He would correct me. Well, I wasn't that good. <laughs> he was pretty good. I, mean, I, I was going to say, the, you know, the last thing about all of this, you know, whether it's Rondale Moore running 76 yards and that feeling that you have as a fan or as an observer of 
all being one. It's about, I mean, it sounds corny, about being being happy and finding out something that really makes you tick. So I don't begrudge people that, that are like Larry, loves the Indians, and that's awesome because that's, that's what makes you you. But I think that's the beauty of why we love sports, so there's nothing like that, that sensation of that 76-yard touchdown or that Jawan Johnson game-winning shot or whatever that is. Uh, or breeze the Morales. Right. So <laughs> that's the experience of life and that feeling you have, and you can have that in a number of different ways. But I think the people that uh, I enjoy the fact that there's a – I've been lucky in my life to be able to have some well-rounded things that happen, and, and but it's, it has begun and ended uh, a lot with the athletic experience, and that's been great. Well, Alan, thanks. Well, been, Go ahead, Larry. I was just going to say have a good show tomorrow, and uh, – be sure to say hi to my great friend Nate Barrett, and oh, uh, let's, go get, let's, go get, let's, let's go get a victory. Yeah. Another area where Alan touches in, in around Purdue and in the community is the post game radio show. <laughs> yeah. he, he's up at the crack of dawn on days like today uh, for TV appearances. He hosts his uh, internet show. This is our show. media day, Elliot. We got to go hard today. I man. mean, Alan is nonstop. So, but it's a privilege to do it. And Nate, can't, you can't find a better host you know one more gracious person and uh, we have fun uh, doing that and uh, and uh, it is like i said that's one thing it's been been a privilege to do all this privilege to do this show so it's been fun to do that uh, and not many people get this opportunity well we appreciate you stopping by and uh, taking time and um it's uh we'll have to do one again because i know there's a bunch of purdue history stuff oh, that yeah. i want to get into and one oh, of these yeah, days, yeah, one yeah. of these days we're going to do a purdue history uh um, show and we'll have he listeners. is the he is the historian he well, is the Purdue historian yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll, that, we'll dive good. we'll dive deeper on the second go around right, so but this bet. was this was Alan Carpick podcast number forty seven here for the Boilerball podcast appreciate everybody appreciate everybody listening keep your emails coming boilerballpodcast at gmail.com. and until next time be curious be informed and be well.